You're tuned in to the Three Pixels Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Three Pixels Podcast. We're here with another episode for your ears. Don't ask what episode number it is because there's just too many to count. But if you haven't listened to all of them, go back and do that because there's some wonderful ones, including the last one, which was all about Mulan. Just checking that you remembered. Before we dive into the episode, I'd like to welcome and introduce my two wonderful co-hosts. We have Darby and Martin. Martin, how are you doing? I'm very well, Ben. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be back for another podcast episode. And I think this is going to be a very good one today. I agree. Coming over now, Darby, how's it going? Going good, thanks. How are you? All good. Thank you very much. Forgive me for not coming to you first. You do favor going to Martin first. No, I've noticed. Uh, no, Don't think not, I haven't. No, There's no, no that's not true. He always no goes evidence. to you first, Darby. Mm, Can't prove anything. <laughs> Let's dive into the episode. So this episode is all about the future in Amazon's eyes. How does Jeff Bezos see the future of our lives? Well, might be a little bit Black Mirror, so hold on tight while we get through the key items that has been discussed and announced at Amazon's 2020 event. It all started rather mundane. Some updates to the Echoes, some new speakers added and new designs just to make you feel like you're getting something completely new if you upgrade your Echo system. And everything was fine until we saw a flying drone. There's a camera that follows you around a house and there's a cute dog in the advert. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? And then they also announced a competitor to Google Stadia with Amazon Luna, a brand new game streaming service, which you'll be launching very, very soon, taking on the big competitors. Okay, fair enough, Amazon, we're listening. And then, to top it all off, they want to read our palms and know not to predict the future, but to be the future and to be the one place, the one system that you need for all your authentication, whether it's for getting into work, whether it's for going to a concert, whether it's for paying for a product, or whether it's more importantly to Amazon going into their Amazon Go stores. We'll get into that right at the end. So that's just a teaser. But first of all, I want to talk about the Ring Security Drone. It is designed to activate only when residents are out, works indoors and is limited to one floor of a building. One campaign group has gone as far as calling this drone Amazon's most chilling home surveillance product yet. It's difficult to imagine why Amazon thinks anyone wants a flying internet camera linked to data gathering company in the privacy of their own home, said Silky Carlo from Big Brother Watch. It's important to acknowledge the influence that Amazon's product development is having on communities and the growing surveillance market. When the always home cam is triggered by a suspected break-in, owners will get a smartphone alert to let them see the live footage. Amazon have said that privacy has been top of mind when the machine was designed. They say it only reports when it is in motion, and when it's not in motion, it actually sits in the dock where it is physically blocked from even being able to report. In addition to that, it is built to be loud, so it really is privacy that you can hear. 
The device is set to cost about 250 bucks, 192 pounds in the UK when it goes on sale. At the moment, at launch, it'll only be available in the US, but whatever you think of it, it is an ambitious device. Might not be for everyone, but some people are already putting security cameras in their home. So is this a step too far or is this just another device for the house? It's like a guard dog that you don't have to feed and water and take out for potty breaks. But also it's like a creepy guard dog. Creepy because it feels a little bit like in order to advance the security of your home in case of an intruder, you're putting in an intruder that you've already chosen. And it feels a little uncomfortable to me. I want to talk from experience where at my house we do have cameras and surveillance and that's mostly down to my dad who is a better word for his OCD about security and when he starts watching things like Watchdog here in the UK it just sets all alarm bells up his event, everything has to go up but I would probably welcome the idea of having this drone enter your house yes there are concerns about data protection and all that but let's be honest like I think they pretty much know everything about you already and to have this to have some sort of peace of mind some people like my dad and even like the older generation would just probably sleep a bit better at night to know that you know if something is going to happen at least someone's going to get recorded or be like shocked to see some weird drone come out because you know when this is first going to come out people will be like what the hell is that i'm out of here sort of thing all right when it becomes more of a you know oh i know this drone is this is hitting them with a baseball bat or whatever to then all carry on sort of thing but i think genuinely it's a really good idea i'm, I'm i would personally welcome it into my household um as well as living in the uk i believe the statistic that we have four to six million surveillance cameras here in the uk so realistically surveillance isn't that alien to us here and when you counter uh countries like brazil china america which are in the top 10 of having surveillance i think people don't realize how watched they already are. But this is on your terms and in your demand. And again, it's all peace of mind and safety towards the, uh, the householder. Completely agree with you, Martin. I think that obviously this will be down to you at home that's making that choice, whether they think it's worthwhile or not, whether the compromise in potential privacy is worth the trade-off for the added security. It's a bit of a balance that you've got to kind of create, right? If you want to feel secure and you don't feel secure currently, how much of your privacy are you willing to give up to add that extra security? Because adding any kind of cameras, all right, you could have it locally recorded and all that stuff, fair enough. But any kind of secure recording where it's gone off site so that, you know, if you're away on holiday, you can see the footage if something was wrong, you know. And I've known people who have, you know, properties elsewhere, maybe, you know, abroad, and they want to keep an eye on their property or they're away and have that extra peace of mind, then, you know, it might be worthwhile doing that. It does seem like a lot of a gimmick. It is quite expensive. In my eyes, the idea of security cameras is that kind of like hidden away in there and, you know, you can get the most footage of the people because they don't know they're being recorded, right? Whereas the noise might even scare them away, depending on how capable this thing is of finding the intruder. I don't know how capable the AI is of actually finding it. It might be whizzing around the house for half an hour. Meanwhile, your TV's gone. It's down to the user. I, it wouldn't upset me to have that in the house. I wouldn't be against it. Uh, the same way that I wouldn't be against having security cameras in a property uh, for that same reason. 
I think the biggest thing putting me off is how much value for money you're really getting, how useful it would really be for the price that you're willing or going to pay. The only difference to my understanding between this machine and a, no a normal security camera would be that this would cast confusion and it's super effective. You know, you could do basically the same thing by just setting up cameras all around your house if you really wanted that kind of surveillance. To me, it feels a bit like a gimmick and it feels a bit like somebody who's super into surveillance might get, get a kick out of it, like a new toy kind of a thing. I don't see it being as appealing to a massive audience. I feel like it's kind of a niche product. I think there could be an element towards what Darvis just said. It could be a niche product or even just a gimmick, for sure. But I do wonder its capabilities, um, as what Ben said earlier on. He said about, you know, when it's in the dark, well, burglars, or if I was going to be a burglar, wouldn't switch on all, every house, like every room they're going in to make it very visible to their face. So it makes me wonder what their low light camera is going to be. And then that's a completely different chat and how much, you know, how much expense is probably going into these drones. And I would probably say, I think it's more of the thought that, it, that you have something protecting you inside because how many of us really have cameras inside our homes? Although saying that, I found a horrible truth out about like Airbnb places where they would have like hidden cameras in like clocks, in like um, tissue dispensers, in uh, fire alarm systems. And I've never stayed in an Airbnb, but that really put me off. And there's a YouTuber whose name I cannot remember, so I apologize to that, uh, that man. But he like showed about this place that he rigged himself and showed how easy it is to hide cameras in plain sight. So realistically, if listeners are interested in this sort of product, a cheaper route would probably be buy these small products that you can buy on Amazon, which are like 20, 30 quid, and you could just put them as everyday household objects. So there's no flying drone or anything like that. You now just have a camera which is recorded in an area which you probably wouldn't suspect there to be one. Yeah, you bring up a really good point with the hidden camera thing. There is actually a BBC documentary as well about it. Um... Stacey Dooley did one going to a country in Asia. I'm not too sure on the country, but it doesn't matter which country it is. The point is, is that the technology has become so cheap that uh, it has become a big issue, especially in Asia, where it can be even cheaper to get hold of this stuff. So there are actually like organizations of people who go out on behalf of famous artists over there or government organizations or whatever. They go out and scan hotel rooms and stuff with ir blasters and stuff to try and find where all these devices are so it is it is that isn't it but that's a whole other conversation it is easy to hide cameras these days there are a bunch of different cameras out, uh, options out there and there's a lot of different choices so i guess you can see this just as another product in the arsenal of choice for you as a consumer to make that fits your certain situation maybe you have a certain situation where this product would be perfect but for maybe the majority of people it's not and you know it might be good or going back to what martin said about sort of elderly people 
more as a an alert for the elderly people to go oh there might be something going on here rather than actually finding them in the first place so horses for courses and maybe there is a course for this horse so a very quick pit stop before we make it to the main event which is all of the palm reading stuff of course amazon announced luna which is their own game streaming service and it will work with amazon's fire tv dongles windows and macOS computers as well as iphones and ipads in the web browser Luna is set to compete with Google Stadia, which launched about a year ago and has honestly struggled to establish itself in such a busy marketplace. I know Google has struggled. So let's just say a little bit cautious here about how this is going to do. There's Xbox Game Pass, PlayStation Now, Apple Arcade, EA Play, among a ton of other subscription services all trying to get your money. However, Amazon does have the highly popular Twitch platform where people watch each other play. So maybe they could actually achieve what Google wanted to achieve with YouTube, that if your favorite streamer or buddy is playing a game on Twitch using Luna, you could jump in just that quickly. Amazon is allowing third-party channels on Luna, but at an additional cost to the user. So Amazon with Luna seems to be taking a channel subscription method. And if it sounds very similar to your satellite subscription, that's because that is exactly what it is. You will subscribe to certain channels, which will give you access to certain games. For instance, one of their partners will be Ubisoft, and you can subscribe to the Ubisoft channel and get access to a bunch of Ubisoft games. It doesn't quite sound like the Netflix of game streaming, does it? Because it really isn't. Luna's game controller is quite unique and will connect with Wi-Fi direct to Amazon servers, first eliminating the delay of going through the device you're playing on to the servers. So they're saying that the reaction times will be almost instantaneous and unnoticeable to most players, which is really important. And with the push of 5G and fast mobile internet access, could this be the replacement for buying a Switch on the go that you can also use instead of your PlayStation 5 or Xbox? Series X at home? No. And that's it. I'll be honest, I've just not been impressed with these uh, new companies coming in with their consoles. Uh, the Stadia, for example. I've heard very little about the Stadia. What I have heard of it, people have gave it good reviews, some people are happy with it. And it just reminds me of that. To me, it's just one of those, it'll be around for a year or two. Then it realized it can't hang with the big boys in the PlayStations and your um, Xboxes and the PCs, and it was slow, and it would die a slow and painful death. That is the best way I can put it, in, in my opinion. I think it's a very hard market to crack. Could it replace the, the Nintendo Switch? The Switch is a very popular console. In fact, it's excelled and preceded my expectations that I had on the Switch. I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be the nail in the coffin for Nintendo. You know, the last real big one was the ds and i thought well you know is it as good as the ds yes obviously graphics wise and stuff but i didn't see the um switch doing as well as it did and now for a claim like that to say it's going to be you know bigger than the switch or or it's a replacement i just can't see it that that's just nonsense in my mind and like i said i'd give it two years on shelf life and that'll probably be about it never hear about it again very negative reviews i'm sorry but it is what it is. 
I'm really torn about game streaming services because I like what they stand for in the sense that you can pay a fair price and get access to a bunch of games. There's little upfront investment. When you buy a console these days, you get a hard drive, which is not big enough to store the games. You buy your games and you've got to download half of them anyway. You get one controller. Sometimes it's not even rechargeable. You have to buy batteries for it. And by the time you've invested and bought your console, your games, your accessories, and built up this all up, you spend a lot of money. And by the end of the console's lifespan, you're expected to spend that amount of money if you want to keep playing the same games at the best quality you can moving forward. Now, this may be a cynical way of looking at console gaming. And the PC gamers may come in and say, well, get a PC. The PC market isn't that different. PC parts age. You can't always play the same games, the latest games at the same settings forever. And there's an ongoing cost with that. So the idea of buying a single controller and having a subscription and just you know, choosing the package of games that you want. And then if you decide, you know what? I'm not, I'm not gaming much at the minute. I don't want to game. I'm busy. I've got other things going on. Guess what? I can cancel my subscription. I've, I've invested little money. I don't feel like I have to buy and keep using it because I've invested four, five, six hundred pounds in this device. But unfortunately, this subscription model is not what game companies like. And it's really hard to get the latest games on board because developers have spent a ton of money making these games and they want to make every single penny plus some back. And the only real way to do that it's the same problem you have in the streaming services. The reason why Netflix and Amazon and all these others have gone to just making their own products to put on their own platform is because when it's new, they want to sell it to you individually. They want you to buy it digitally online. They want you to buy the DVD, the Blu-ray, see it in the, in the cinema. And same thing for the games. They want you to buy it digitally. They want you to buy it again for this other console. They want you to get all the DLC and all this stuff. And the money they get from a subscription platform is much smaller and just less appealing unless you end up with something that resembles a mobile game. Therefore, you get a pay to win or you get a bunch of extra content that you have to pay for. So you're paying for it in the long run anyway. You're paying a, probably a full game price by the time you wanted all the content that you would have had in a full game. So I'm torn. I like the idea of it, but the business reality of it is only really setting it up for failure. So what Ben was saying there is something, yeah, the philosophy is there. And I quickly had a look at the games that will be there on, on launch. And personally, nothing screams, oh, this is a must-have. I think there was like um, Assassin's Creed, Valhalla. There was Resident Evil 7 and the new Watch Dogs when that gets released. And beyond that, the rest of them, I'm like, I've never heard of these games. None whatsoever. And, and this is the problem when it becomes uh, a streaming service console, you know, as Ben said, I like the philosophy too. And again, he is more than correct saying about when people develop games, they want to squeeze every last drop of money they can out of you. And that is the problem. It doesn't probably generate enough money for designers and game producers to really go with them. And this is where I'll never see in my opinion, in the next five years, a streaming service for games, which is going to be really successful. Swing's really spectacular has to come out of the woodwork, in my opinion. 
is that the Luna? No. And I know I've only just heard about it. There's, you know, there's much probably more information on this that I could probably research on, but instantaneously my mind is turned to, no, I don't think so. I am fairly intrigued about Amazon Luna. I won't lie to you. I am the kind of casual gamer that enjoys games but doesn't want to spend much money on them ever. And the only way I will spend much money on a game is after extensive research into it, a lot of time deciding whether or not to buy it. I mean, it's a whole process because I don't want to spend the money on it, even though I expect to enjoy it. So the idea of a service like Luna, I find appealing. However, what it comes down to for me would be the video game selection. And looking at what Amazon are advertising on their Amazon Luna website, there's a whole bunch of stuff I have never seen or heard about. I can tell you right now, a lot of it I'm not going to care about. There's Tennis World Tour. Not going to play it. Uh, there's, it looks like some war games. I'm not going to touch those. Resident Evil, nope. Assassin's Creed, not going to happen. But then there's like one or two that I would say, oh yeah, that looks pretty interesting. And there's actually one that I would actually really like to play. So for me, this is actually an appealing service because this is the kind of service where someone like me who doesn't want a high entry point can just casually enter in, play the game that I care about for a few hours, see if I actually like it or not. I mean, if I turn out to be obsessed with it, then I could buy it separately. But yeah, I think this is actually, this actually would be something that I would be keen about and I would actually use. Of course, if they switched up the games or I started playing the ones that I'm actually interested in and realized that they're pretty bad. Uh, that would change, and I would cancel my subscription. But yeah, I I actually feel pretty positive about this. I just think this is not for hardcore gamers. This is not a service for somebody who's really into gaming and has consoles and already owns games. This is not for you. This is for casual people like me who just want to, you know, play a game every once in a while and have some fun and move on with my life after that <laughs> and not and not pay much money at all. <laughs> you wrapped it up nicely as I was going to allude to. The biggest market for this is, is the casual gaming market is people that maybe already play quite a few mobile games or, you know, now and again played those, but wanted to up that to something else. Now, the access cost is, is going to be relatively affordable for most people. Uh, $5.99, as it's starting in the US, dollars a month, is, is good. And you can stream on two devices at once. So you and, you and a friend or you and a partner or whoever can, can do that. And you split that then down the middle, you took $3 a month per person. That's not bad at all. And 
that's going to be really accessible. Now, I think they have a better chance than Google Stadia. And the reason I say this is because with Google Stadia, you have the service, and then you're buying your games on top of that. But with Luna, you're getting channels. So you're getting channels of games. So although it could add up by the time you add on other channels, so if you want the Ubisoft channel, you'll probably be paying more on top. But at least then you're getting a bunch of games. So the benefits of streaming come through. However, we have to see how the streaming will work. As Darby said, it's, it, it's not for the hardcore gamers. I mean, we're only looking at 1080p 60 frames when it launches, which for hardcore gamers, 60 frames is like a minimum, like barely enough for them. So, you know, especially a lot of people that already have PCs and stuff, they're looking at, you know, 120, 140 frames higher. So, and 4K is later down the line. So people already have a PS Pro or, you know, a higher end console or going to get the next gen. They're already getting better results from that. But this is not for that. What I'm waiting to see when it launches is how they do update the library, as Darby said, because with Netflix, they update it all the time. And if a show disappears, then, okay, that's annoying. You know, like, oh, I didn't get to finish watching that, but it'll come back at some point. Okay, fine. If you're in the middle of a game, like you've been gaming for like a few weeks and a few months, and then you go back to finish a game and then like they decided to change up the library, that would be pretty annoying. For service you paid so i'm not saying that that's how it's going to work but there is that chance if it's just a library of games that's streamable that your favorite game could just disappear before you get a chance to finish playing it amazon could make so much money if they sold amazon luna like subscription gift cards or gifts um so that you could like get somebody a three month service or a 12 month service or whatever, because I could see this as like a really cool present for like my teenage siblings would love something like this, you know? So Amazon, I've got some ideas, hit me up. I want to be on your payroll. Okay. Well, on that note, yeah, again, if you're interested in Luna, check it out in the show notes below and give it a Google and uh, let us know what you think. Get in touch on Twitter. So here we are, the big headline, the big news, what everyone's been talking about from the Amazon 2020 conference. And that is Amazon's palm reading technology, pitched to be used at the grocery store, but with much bigger views past that. The new technology is designed initially to let Amazon Go stores allow shoppers to pay for their groceries by scanning the palm of their hand. By analyzing the shape of your hand and the unique configuration of veins under your skin, Amazon says this technology can verify your identity the same way facial recognition does. Although Amazon One will initially be used for payments only, it's clear the tech giant has much bigger ambitions for the hardware. In the future, it says, Amazon One could not only be used for shopping, but as a replacement for tickets at music events or sporting events, as an alternative to your office keycard, letting you scan in with a swipe of your hands. In other words, this isn't just being pitched as a payment technology, it's an identity technology, and one that could give Amazon more reach into your life than ever before. As you can imagine, not everyone is best pleased about this, and some experts are skeptical about Amazon's claims of convenience and worry about a company with a spotty track record on privacy, to say the least, becoming the controller of a new identity standard. Whether it's Amazon's use of biased facial recognition algorithms or its ambitions to grow a network of home surveillance cameras, as we discussed earlier, this is an organization that has proved many times that individual privacy is not always its biggest concern. 
So is it a good idea if Amazon knows exactly who you are from the palm of your hands? Before we go to the other two pixels, from a security point of view, this is the information we know. Palm scanning has some key advantages over other biometrics. First, the information being used to identify you is not easily observable, unlike your face or your earprint. Yes, earprints. Even fingerprints can be picked up from touched objects or photographed from a distance. It's much harder by comparison to snap a picture of someone's hand and use that to spoof their vein patterns. All the other biometrics that are becoming commonplace, face, fingerprints, iris, are all quite observable and visible from the outside. Elizabeth Renieris, a law and policy researcher who focuses on data governance and human rights, said, there's definitely something to say for the advanced security of palm scanning. Similarly, the information collected during a palm scan makes it easy to incorporate a liveness test, that is to check that you are a real living person. For these reasons, it's sometimes claimed that palm or vein recognition is the most accurate and secure of all common biometrics. Though the stats depend on how the tech is implemented, it's also worth noting that palm scanning is certainly not foolproof, and hackers have shown in the past that they can create fake hands that can trick some scanners. And the bigger question, do we really want our palms stored in the cloud? It's very strange the direction that security is taken. As obviously, we've talked about cameras, but now we're talking about palm scanners. And again, you mentioned about like face recognition. You know, that's been around for a few years now. And obviously now with phones, you can get thumb scanners as well. But a palm scanner is just very odd. But I feel like this is the natural progression of face recognition and all that. I think this was bound to happen at some point. I said before the podcast about what about people who don't have hands? Well, probably they'll go for like um, like face recognition instead. You know, there's obviously ways about going about this sort of stuff. But I don't know how I feel about someone having my hand on in a cloud and in like a database. Not that I'm going to commit any crimes anytime soon, but I think it's very easy for police to go like, oh, let's just go in the cloud. Who does this match up to? Bang, bang, bang. Oh, here they are now. Yes, that'd be helpful. But to me, I feel like someone could copy that if it got into the wrong hand, make sort of a latex wax over the hand and pretend it's me. That is how my mind worked towards this. I was like, someone could probably copy my my print details and try and use it in nefarious deeds that they have planned. I know that is very, very hard to imagine, but it could happen. And that's the scary part about it. Someone could hack into this cloud or database that your palms are now uh, stored in, and they could get information from that and use it, like I said, in an advantageous way for them. I hate to sound conservative in the face of new technology. I liked the face recognition at the Amazon Go store at the time because it felt fun and new and fresh and try it once and it's fine. You know, Um, the thing about this is that it feels even more personal to me than face recognition. And I'm not sure why. I think maybe it's because palms are so close to fingerprints and fingerprints are such a um, commonly taken thing for identifying for government and employment purposes. Uh, Maybe I've just grown a little bit more skeptical in the past couple of years since we went to the Amazon Go store. 
I don't know, but for some reason, this idea makes me feel uncomfortable, but also I'm wondering why it's really necessary. We're getting along fine with the payment systems that we have. Honestly, I use a key card at work. Ben uses a key card at work. It's fine. We get through our lives. I don't feel the need to give Amazon one more highly identifiable piece of myself that, frankly, I don't need to. I mean, in the ad that we were watching, um, that Amazon have posted for this service, they're talking about using it for stuff like buying your morning coffee and stuff like that. And it's like, well, I can buy my morning coffee in five other different ways. Cash, card, um, Americans still use checks sometimes. I can pay with it with my Apple Watch. I mean, like, I really don't need one more way to pay for my coffee. I feel like it's unnecessary and another highly private piece of information that I don't really want to just throw around just for funsies. My grandpa, whose hand shakes, he has tremors. So I was just thinking about, like, if he would be able to even use a service like that if his hand is doing this all the time over the palm reader, would he, I mean, it, it, there's no way it would be able to like get a read on him, right? Like, because if it's like shaking ridiculous amounts, there's no way it would be able to track the veins long enough to um, identify you. And so that made me wonder about people of other abilities that, I'm unaware of who else might be enabled to use something like that. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's a very fair point. And I think you both have touched on at various points in this discussion, people not fitting the general ideal scenario, whether it's loss of limbs or whether it's some sort of other condition which makes reading harder. So they've probably only been able to test it on a very small amount of people. So it will likely require AI and intelligent learning to get a bigger sample of people as it's rolled out and they'll iron out the bugs based on you know the different types of readings they can get. I don't know the technology of how this works. I'm sure they're not going to go into too much detail because obviously it's a company secret. I'm sure that's the exact deep technology. But I don't know. Maybe it can overcome those things. Maybe it can overcome a shaky hand. I don't know. We don't know. But that's a good, good point. Good, very good point. I think a lot of people would expect me to be very excited about this technology, and I don't think I am. I like Amazon Go. In fact, I've been drinking out of an Amazon Go mug this whole podcast. I like the idea of what Amazon Go does. Amazon Go makes the misery that is grocery shopping, and I'm sorry, grocery shopping is a misery, and improves it just a little bit. It improves the worst part of it, which is queuing up at the end loading onto a dirty conveyor belt and then going through that whole process. You put it into your own bag, it encourages you to bring your own bag because you can just put it straight in your own bag without having to touch anything else and just walk out when you're done. 
And quite frankly, I'm happy scanning an app on my phone. There is nothing bad about doing that. You only have to have the app the first time. It's an easy way of checking straight after you've made your purchase that it's gone through correctly and everything's fine to get your e-receipt. And it's fixing a problem that never really existed in the first place. Mobile payments fixed the issue of having to carry a wallet around with you. And I actually don't put a wallet in my trousers. I don't carry a wallet on me 99% of the time these days because I have mobile payments. But guess what? People aren't getting rid of their phones anytime soon. People are still wanting to carry their phones. In fact, people are using their phones more than ever. And if they haven't got their phones, they've got smartwatches or other alternatives. If carrying cards around with you is a problem, you probably already have a device that can do it for you. And services like Apple Pay, Google Pay, they're seamless. They're easy to use. They use secure biometrics like fingerprint and face tracking. And in fact, it could arguably be more secure because it's not stored on a server. It's authenticated on the device. So there's no hacking concern. Not even Apple or Google can get hold of those pieces of information. And that's where it should stay. I have been impressed with what Amazon Go has achieved. It is impressive. And I actually am fully for the idea of Amazon Go. But I won't be one of the first people to put their hands on the payment scanner. And I don't think you should be too. We're being asked every single day to give up more and more of what we class as being a human and something we hold on to as part of being a human. And a lot of what the companies do with this is coming into question. There's not a shortage of documentaries talking about the topic. There's not a shortage of political hearings about the topic. So maybe wait and see what comes out of all this and allow the companies to do the reform that they really need to, to do better with the data that they already have before we start handing over more data. And I think that's the perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. There is just so much here to, to think about. And I think that uh, now's a good time to call it. <laughs> Go away and let us know what you think on social media or on the comment section below the YouTube video if you're watching on YouTube. We love you guys that watch on YouTube. Thank you to Martin and Darby for joining us on this very insightful episode. Martin, Darby? <laughs> Yes, thank you very much, Ben, for having, uh, having both of us fully enjoyed our episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. On that note, that's all we've got time for. I'll see you guys next time. Adios. Bye. See you later. You're tuned in to the Three Pixels podcast. Google, stop. Thank you. Did she just say, I am mad? I don't know what she said. Oh my yeah, gosh, that is so creepy. Benjamin, I am mad. <laughs> That's what she said. She said she was mad. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's I was so just creepy. Say, that wasn't planned. Like, generally, that what? wasn't planned. There was no idea. <laughs> That was not planned at all.